So my biggest fan out there just said, go get him, Chuck. So tonight, Pat will tell you the reason why I have to sit on a stool when I share the message. I'm going to leave that story up to him. I will have a story about Pat right at the end, so remind me if I forget. <laughs> we'll go back and forth. I just want to just caution you. You can't believe everything that Pat says. No. <laughs> This has been a strange time and, uh, for all of us, and I understand that. And uh, yet there's some very redeeming times or redeeming actions that take place during this time. And I think I could go around from family to family and you could share that. One of the things that has happened to me during this time is on my birthday this last January, my wife bought a new elliptical machine, and it was a fairly expensive one. I would have never spent the money on that that she did, but I was really thankful. And the nice thing about the machine is you can adjust the stride to be longer, shorter. You naturally can adjust it to do a random workout. And so anyway, I don't even know how all the machine works, but as I started, I hit the first one on the random, and it goes for 30 minutes, and it gets harder, you know, so it just randomly goes through. But one thing I noticed, I used to have an elliptical machine, and it was harder to work, and I really have to work out. I could work out on this one and do that workout, and it's exactly 34 minutes, and I can really work up a great sweat, and I need to at times, so I love it. It feels like I'm not working that hard, and I'll come upstairs, and my wife says, what in the world did you do? I just worked out on the elliptical. You're soaked. <laughs> that's okay. I need a workout like that. But the other thing that sort of goes along with that is, uh, what do you do when you're working out? Well, during this time, you can get overwhelmed with this COVID stuff. All of you know about that. But there's a station in Des Moines, you probably get it too, it's, I can't I think it's 19 that has all sorts of uh, all spiritual programs, some of them not so good, some of them okay, but they have about five of them on prophecy. I record every single one of them. As I work out from Monday through Friday, I watch each one of them with interest. Now, I know that everything that they say isn't correct, but I love to hear people talk about the kingdom of God and it's coming soon. I love talking about it. I love thinking about it. And this morning, what we want to do is really define that term because for me, for a number of years, it was a little foggy, but it doesn't have to be at all. And, uh, I had the privilege of teaching the book of Matthew for, I can't remember how many years at faith. It was a number of years. But I had to meditate through this book. And I'm always thankful when I have the privilege of meditating through a book. So what I want to bring to you is some of those meditations that I've gone over for a number of years dealing with the kingdom of God. Now, as you look at the book of Matthew, actually, the more popular term in Matthew is not the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. And so you always ask questions. Is that the same thing? Is that different? What's the kingdom of heaven? What's the kingdom of God? And so what I like to do, and Matthew's the only one that uses it. The other gospel writers don't use that term. Only Matthew uses that. In fact, as you look at your first blank, if you're following along, it's, uh, 
It's used 33 times in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. But I need to give you a few passages that I think will help you understand the Jewish mind when we try to consider this term. Because anytime you look at Scripture, you have to ask yourself, what was the reader, the person that was living at the time that that writing took place, what went through their mind when you use this term? That's how you have to interpret Scripture. And uh, there's several things that I would like to at least propose to you. In fact, after today, I, I want you to listen. I want you to listen. You may want to go back and reinvestigate. That's not a bad thing, is it? The Berean church would listen, and then what would they do? They'd search the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. That's what I'm going to present to you, things to think through. But to start with, I'd like you to go with me to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. And I'll try to explain why I'd like you to see that, because what I'm trying to do here is help you understand the Jewish mindset, because we need to understand that. So in, in Psalm 37, it's a beautiful psalm. There's a lot of verses there, but there's one concept I really want to bring in, because this is the Jewish mind to me as, as you look at it. And I'm not going to read everything, but I'll read some verses. Look at verse 9. Now, I got the Holman Christian. It's similar to, to the ESV, but a little different. They're both good. But it says this, For evildoers will be destroyed. I like the way the ESV will be cut off. That's really what it talks about. The evildoers are going to be cut off. But those who put their hope in the Lord, what are they going to do? Inherit the land. They're going to inherit the land. And then it says, verse 10, A little while, and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he'll not be there. But the humble will what? Inherit the land and enjoy abundant prosperity. And remember, Jesus actually uses this psalm in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Do you think that's literal? Do you think Jesus was saying they are literally going to inherit the land? Do you think the Jewish mind went there? Because actually in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And this is equated to that. The Jewish mind is set up. They thought of the golden age when they would be situated in the land and their Messiah would be over them, and they would enjoy the land forever. That's where their mind went. It, I love thinking about it. You know, it's all the way through this psalm. And uh, notice verse 18 the Lord watches over the blameless all their days, and their inheritance will last forever. Verse 22 those who are blessed by the Lord will inherit the land. Notice verse 28, the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever, but the wicked, they're going to be cut off. The wicked are cut off from this land. But the righteous, it says in verse 29, they're going to inherit this land and dwell in it permanently. I used to hear when I was growing up, nice guys finish last. Have you ever heard that? This psalm says nice guys finish first. I like this psalm. They're going to inherit the land. That's the Jewish mindset. 
Okay, I just want you to understand that's the way they thought. Now, there's one other passage we need to go over before we jump into the, into the kingdom of heaven, and that's in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. So if you'd go there with me real quick, and then we'll jump into the lesson here. So Matthew chapter 19 it's a famous story of the rich young ruler. But the only thing I want to point out, I don't want to go over the story, but I want you to see the terms that are used here so that you understand again the Jewish understanding. Now notice in verse 16, just then someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Great question. Now we have the term eternal life. Again, if you drop down to verse 21, if you'll be perfect, Jesus said, go sell your belongings and give to the people and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So it talks about eternal life. It talks about heaven. But then when you get to verse 23, Jesus, because the young man heard it and he went away, but verse 23, then he said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it will be hard for the rich person to enter the what? kingdom of heaven. Again, I say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then he talks to the disciples and he said, hey, don't get downtrodden with all of this. Verse 28, Jesus said, truly I say unto you, the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, do you see how all of those terms are almost used interchangeably? Eternal life, heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, sitting on the thrones. All of them in the very same story. Because I used to divide those, but I don't think we need to because in the Jewish mind, eternal life was living in the land forever with the Messiah. Now we're going to get to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, but that's brought right into this same context. So I just, again, I want you to think through this whole aspect with me about this phrase. And, and I don't have time to go through all of it, but you know, when you read the parables... When you read the parables, Matthew uses kingdom of heaven. Luke and Mark, they use kingdom of God. They're the same term. It's the same thing. They're talking about the same thing. And that's also eternal life. It's all the same to the Jewish mind. Okay, keep that in mind. Now let's go back to the, to the, to the, to the phrases here that are, are used as you look at your, again, your notes as you go through. Another similar phrase that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. So kingdom of heaven is used 33 times. But the kingdom of God is used at least five times in the book of Matthew. Now, the next one in Mark varies a little bit just because I think there's some indirect references, but I would say between 15 to 19 times in the book of Mark is the kingdom of God found. And in, and in Luke, the term is used from 35 to 39 times depending on how you count the indirect phrases. And in John, it's only used two times. Do you remember where they're used in the Gospel of John? Kingdom of God? Jesus said. 
Unless you're born again, you will not enter what? Kingdom of God. That's how Jesus uses it. Now, just keep all of that in mind. We're thinking our way through this. Now, with that, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 3 to find the first time that it's found there. And it's an interesting context. Matthew chapter 3. So here we have the days of John. John the Baptist. So it says, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. That's always interesting to me because when you look at that, John never does any great miracles. We don't know of a single miracle. And now this guy is preaching out in the wilderness and great crowds are coming out to listen to this guy. He must have been a pretty good preacher. Pat probably couldn't even get that many people to go out into the wilderness when he preached. John the Baptist did. He had a great crowd that followed him. But now watch the message. This, this to me, I was, sometimes I sleep well, other times I go off and on. And last night was one of those. I, I, I was just thinking, here's, here's the message, the preaching of John, chapter 3, verse 2, 11, and 12. But it says this, and saying, repent. Because the kingdom of heaven has come near, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he goes on to say, for he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. And then it talks about John the Baptist a little bit more, but... As he goes through, he continues to talk about the kingdom of heaven that is supposed to come at this point. What is that kingdom of heaven? And why does he say repent? Now, I, again, John the Baptist was a person I'm certain that meditated. I mean, he knew he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 40, the one crying in the wilderness as he referred. But he meditated much more. So let me just show you several passages I think could have been used to cause John to preach. Go back with me to the book of Malachi, just before Matthew. And here's a passage, as you, as you look at the book of Malachi, it says this in verse 1, See, I am going to send my messenger, again, I think a reference to the one preceding the Messiah, and, and he's going to clear the way before me. So I think he probably saw himself in this passage. Then the Lord, you, who you seek, will suddenly come to the temple. That's going to be the Messiah. The, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he's coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire. And a launderer or bleach, he will make like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. I think John picked up on that, the whole idea. There needs to be a deep purification of God's people when the king comes. You can't have a kingdom without a king. 
And so the king is coming, and John says, this is going to be major. We are really going to face something, but there needs to be a purification that takes place here. Even in Malachi chapter 4, if you look at the beginning of chapter 4, a similar type of statement. For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. You see, the whole idea, when you jump back to Matthew chapter 3, you start to see him preaching about fire and repentance. He's drawing it from these passages. So he's saying, repent. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. So he's preaching his heart out. He preached repentance, which comes from a a Greek word, metanoeo, which means it's it's M-E-T. T-N-O-E-O, if you want to write that in, it's meaning of repentance, change of mind resulting in a changed life. He preached the rule of the sovereign to the kingdom of heaven, of the sovereign to the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is understood to be the kingdom of heaven in the Jewish mind? That's our question. That's what we're going to try to address And what we're going to say, in fact, as you read something here that Dr. Myron put together, which he's no longer with us, but what a great scholar he was on many spiritual things. And in this matter, he writes something that I think we need to think through as we go through. But he points out, as you read this article, that Jesus nor John, because Jesus is going to preach the same message. He's going to preach the very same message as you go through here. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, notice what Jesus says from that. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come. It is here. And then John started to baptize people. Now, to me, this is so powerful to me as I I go through. And I I just got to show you... um, just another parallel passage to Matthew 3, and that's found in Luke 3. And, and you're familiar with this, I'm sure, but I was just thinking my way through, trying to envision this passage as John begins to preach the kingdom of heaven. Luke chapter 3. He was a powerful preacher. So watch what happens as he comes. John chapter 3, during this time, during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went out to the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. And we've read these words also in Matthew. Then notice verse 7. He said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, I can hardly, I, I, I guess Pat might preach this. You might hear Pat. As he goes through, he, he starts to preach. And uh, he says, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children from Abraham from these stones. Can you see a preacher delivering that to the congregation? Don't you put your pride in your heritage. I'm telling you, God can raise them right from stones right here. I mean, 
That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And the people were grabbed by his preaching. He said, the axe is already at the root of the tree. You better straighten up, he's saying. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now watch what takes place. Now, here's where you sense where preachers really got into the crowd. They start to ask questions. What should we do? <laughs> the crowds were asking him. He replied. Now, why, why was the preaching so powerful? John believed there was a real kingdom of God, and it was at hand. And he has about a year ministry, is what most people say. And then, as he continues that ministry, the king appears. And John sees him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the... He believed in his message. This is the crowd. Is, the crowd is there. And what, what are we supposed to do? He replied to them. One who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And, and one who has food must do the same. Ah, notice what happens in verse 12. Tax collectors were there. Why were they there? Well, they couldn't go to the synagogue. <laughs> so they went out to the wilderness to listen to, to John preach. Tax collectors, well, well, what should we do? They were shaken by this message. What should we do? Don't collect any more than you have been authorized to do. Now watch this. As you go through this, I just almost laugh as I go. There's some soldiers there, Roman soldiers. Their allegiance is to who? Caesar. They start listening to John preach, and some of them said, Oh, my word, there's a kingdom coming. Put Caesar aside. They believe John's preaching. Well, what, sh what should we do? My, oh my, he was just preaching, impacting people. And uh, he said to them, don't take money any, by, by force or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. I mean, they were so impacted by his preaching. They said, are you the Messiah? And no, no, I'm not. Are you a prophet? No, no, I'm not even a prophet. I'm just a voice. That's all I am. But what a powerful preacher he was. Why? He believed the message that God gave to him. That's why. And people listened to that, and they said, this is God's messenger. I, I think there is a kingdom coming. This man really believes it. I wish we would believe the word of God like that. Because it would impact the way we talk to people as well. But John really preached it. And you know, John got discouraged, though, as well. You, you know, if you jump back to Matthew, I think it's Matthew 11, just a real quick look, because John went on, as you look at Luke, he got so bold as he went up to Herod, he said, that wife you have, you shouldn't have her. I mean, John just felt it. That's, the kingdom's coming, you got to repent, and I'm telling you, you shouldn't have that woman. Yep, he's in prison, just like that. And, and because the kingdom didn't come right away, John got discouraged, and... Uh, then he has to send messengers to Jesus. Now, he didn't lose his faith. He didn't lose his faith. But he had to, to send messengers. And uh, verse 2, Matthew 11. Now, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he, he sent a messenger from, through his disciples and asked, are you the one who's coming or do we have to expect someone else? He's struggling a little bit. 
because he expected that kingdom right then, an actual kingdom to come because the king was here. And he wasn't seeing it. He, the Romans were still in charge. The Jewish authorities were still in charge. He was in prison. Jesus replies, you go and report to John what you heard and see. The blind do receive their sight. And that was a prophecy in Isaiah. Isaiah 35, the blind are going to see. The lame are going to leap. John, I'm doing everything you've read in the Old Testament. I am the king. It's not happening as fast as what you thought it would, John. And, and I, I don't know if Jesus could have had a more intimate conversation. It's going to deal with this whole idea of repentance. But the kingdom's going to be delayed, and we'll get into that even as we look at the parables tomorrow. But clearly, this was a message of a real kingdom that's coming. John was preaching it. John was preaching it. Now, as you think through all of these aspects of the kingdom, what is to be understood by the kingdom of heaven? Now, just think through why the kingdom of heaven. We'll look at some of the verses, and I can't list them all, but a few of the verses, 2 Samuel chapter 7. So these passages will define the kingdom for us. So let's just run there real quick. 2 Samuel chapter 7, you're very familiar with it. The Davidic Covenant. So David's on the throne. Is it a literal throne? If you ask David, did you sit on a literal throne? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I ruled over the children of Israel. So then the Lord comes, talks to him. As you look at the end of Verse 11, it says, The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Is that a literal kingdom? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, David ruled in a literal kingdom. Now he's talking about that kingdom, and he says, he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Literal throne, literal kingdom, forever. The whole idea. And as you go through, you just realize this kingdom will be established forever. Verse 15, but my faithful love will never leave him as I did remove it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house, your kingdom will be endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported all of these words in the entire vision to David. Literal kingdom? You bet. Which kingdom? That's why the, the book of Matthew starts out this way. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why does he list David first? Because the message of Matthew is the kingdom. And the son of David is used again and again in the book of Matthew as he's right. He's trying to tell you that that kingdom that was promised to David, it's here right now. The literal kingdom is here right now. So the other part and that's in found in Daniel. And if you run there real quick, Daniel chapter 2, 
and verse 44, and there's a lot of other verses, and there's Daniel chapter 2, and there's Daniel chapter 7, but it talks about a number of kingdoms, does it not? It talks about a number of kingdoms. And uh, the last one, as you look at it, really helps us to find the term. And I'm not going to go, and I don't have chance to go through the whole book of Daniel, but most of you are very familiar with it. It talks about four different kingdoms. It talks about Babylon and names Babylon as the first one. Then it talks about two inferior kingdoms, which aren't named in Daniel 2 and 7, but they are named in Daniel chapter 8. Media, Persia, and Greece. They're named. It's amazing the prophetic statements that Daniel makes. The last one we take to be Rome, and it was there. And my question is, were these literal historical kingdoms? And you would say what? Yes. yes. But now, chapter 2, verse 44, in those days of the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that'll never be destroyed. So where does the phrase kingdom of heaven come from right here does it mean a, a kingdom that's up in the heaven no it's a kingdom that's going to be set up by heaven right here that's what it means and that's where the king's coming and that's what john saw and that's what he preached this kingdom is going to be right here the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god was being established now notice, as you look at the notes that, that Dr. Myron left for us, and I'm going to just read from them because I think he states it so well. John then, in the very bottom of that first page, John then calls upon Israel to turn from their sins to their king. And as you go to the next page, I'm not going to read it all because a lot of the facts, but I'm going to jump to the middle of the next page. Now, this is an important statement that Dr. Myron gives to us. He says, neither Jesus nor John ever gave the impression that the kingdom which they were proclaiming was different from the kingdom predicted by the Old Testament prophets. The reason why John and Jesus did not make a distinction between the kingdom they preached and the kingdom promised in the Old Testament is because there was no such distinction. Every Jewish mind knew this is what we've dreamed of all of our lives. Now, why was it so difficult? Why didn't they jump in and grab a hold of this kingdom they should have. Miracles should have produced repentance. But that's not what happened, did it? Now, let me just explain a little bit. I ran, I ran across an article that was really interesting, and it may help you understand the Jewish mind. This is what it says about John preaching repentance in his baptism. John's washing, he's talking about Jewish washings. It says this, that those Jews submitted to being baptized was more than a little significant because that was not a traditional cer Jewish ceremony. It was completely different from the Levitical washings, which consisted of washing hands, feet, and head. The Essenes, which was another group of Jewish ascetics, who lived on the northwest shore of the Dead Sea, practiced a type of ceremonial washing that 
more nearly resembled, resembled baptism, but both the Levitical and the Essene washings were repeated, those of the Essenes, as much as several times a day, even hourly. They represented repeated purification for repeated sinning. John's washing, however, was one time. The only one-time washing that the Jews performed was for Gentiles, signifying their coming as outsiders into the true faith of Judaism. A Jew who submitted to such a rite demonstrated, in effect, that he was an outsider who sought entrance into the people of God. You tell me how many Jews are going to submit to that. An amazing admission for a Jew. Members of God's chosen race, descendants of Abraham, heirs of the covenant of Moses, come to, be, come to John to be baptized like a Gentile, and their mind said, God forbid. Now think about it as you think of these Pharisees that directed the Jewish people, these tax collectors were coming and getting baptized in the leadership. Are you kidding me? We're not letting these people into the kingdom. What is this guy doing? <laughs> Roman soldiers? We, we can't let these people into the kingdom. We're trying to replace these people. So the majority of Jewish people, there were some that were baptized. There were genuine people. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, and again, I can't do the whole study, but John chapter 1, you find out that, that oh no, it can't be that late. <laughs> In John chapter 1, who were some of the followers of John the Baptist? Andrew was one of them. Who did he go find? Peter. Who did they find? James, John. Philip found Nathaniel. See, some of these people were followers of John the Baptist. I would guess some of them got baptized. They humbly received it. So there were some, but it was not the majority. It was not the majority. Do you think Matthew got baptized? Very possible. Very possible. He could have got saved under John the Baptist's preaching. I think that's possible. Brought into the kingdom. Now, I know I'm supposed to stop here, but just let me give you some things to study. Could I do that? Um, because if you'll understand this, you'll understand much better the book of Acts. Do you know why the Jews were so angry with Paul's preaching all the way through the book of Acts? He was still trying to bring Gentiles into what? kingdom. I, and the, the thing that I would have loved to have gone through, maybe I'll spend a little time tomorrow, but here's something you could look at. Um, start to go through the book of Acts and take the word kingdom and follow it. There, the reason I say this, the reason I say this is because there were times when I studied I don't know, I guess I call it ultra-dispensationalism, that cut out the 
cut out the church from the kingdom. And the more I read the New Testament, I said, that's not right. When you go through the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and you watch Paul as he preaches, he said these Gentiles, they were separated from the whole fellowship of the promises and the covenants. They were cut off and then on the bottom of the passage, now they're heirs, they're fellow heirs with the Jews. When you look at Romans chapter 11 and you start to see the the people being grafted in and Paul defends his office defending the Gentiles, the Gentiles are being brought into the kingdom. Now the church is separate. I understand that. They're a separate, they're a special body, but they're being brought into the kingdom. I'm telling you, I'm going to be part of the kingdom. If you guys don't want, God will do what he wants to do. But the kingdom is that real. When you look at Jesus after the resurrection, during Acts chapter 1, he starts to spend time with his disciples telling them about the kingdom. And after he's done, the apostles right away say, are you going to restore the kingdom At this time, what kind of kingdom were they talking about? The literal kingdom that was defined in the book of Acts. That's what they were talking about. When Peter starts to preach in Acts chapter 2, it talks about repentance for the forgiveness. They're following John the Baptist's pattern, and Jesus preached that too. In Acts chapter 3, when he preached the great message, repent so that the times of refreshing could be restored because in the mind of Peter, he thought with that repentance, Jesus might come back right then and set up the kingdom. That's what he was hoping. When you follow Paul as he goes through the book of Acts, he's teaching Gentiles in Acts chapter 14, and he said, through much tribulation, you're going to enter the kingdom. In Paul's mind, what was he thinking when he said kingdom? The Jewish setting of the kingdom. Why redefine the term? When he gets all the way to the end of the book of Acts, and he's in Rome under house arrest, read it. Guess what he talks about? Kingdom. He talks about the kingdom. And if you commit these certain sins in Corinthians, you'll not inherit the kingdom, Paul says. What does he mean by kingdom? The same thing. It's the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the literal millennial kingdom that has been promised, that the prophets talked about, all the prophets talked about. I can't wait. I can't wait for that kingdom. And and Jesus even taught as you go through it. You know, if you'll be faithful in some few things, I'm going to make you a a ruler over ten cities. Or five cities. Literally? Yes, literally. That's what's going to happen here. You're... The way you live your life right now is going to determine your part in this kingdom that's coming. <laughs> I get excited. I want to be faithful. When Pat and I witness to people, and we, we don't talk as much as we used to, but here's the phrase we often, hey, I think Joe's pretty close to the kingdom. That's what we say. Do I mean that? Yep. When I witness to people, what, partly what I say, hey, I just want you to know, Jesus is going to set up a kingdom. I'd like you to be a part of that kingdom. I'm not talking about kingdom theology, and we'll get up into that when we look at the parables, because the parables actually are related to this whole thing, and we'll get into that tomorrow. And it'll be very interesting. And uh, so the kingdom 
is something very real. Do I get overwhelmed by COVID? Yeah, to a certain degree. But I love to think about the kingdom. And I love to think about how close it could be. And I want to be on the same page. I want to be faithful. Now let me get back, because I know we have to go, and I don't want to hold. But I had a story about Pat. Okay. You say, well, how in the world does this fit into this? Well, here, let me just share with you. Yeah, I know. So in our, in our neighborhood, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly nice neighborhood, and people normally take care of their lawns. And uh, Pat, <laughs> Pat, Pat and I, we're probably on the lower rung. I'm just telling you, we're probably on the lower rung. And uh, Pat just has nicer neighbors than I do, and they really take good care. So my lawn actually looks nicer. So, so Pat did kindly send me a message a couple of weeks ago. Chuck, you won this year. You, you, you beat me out in the lawn. And Pat, you probably don't know this, but I took that text and I sent it to the Lord. He said, what did you do that for? Well, I'm trying to put in to be a groundskeeper right next to the temple. And if I can, if, if I, I want to stay close to where the Lord's at, so I want the Lord to sort of look at my lawn. Oh, that's not too bad, Chuck. I might consider you. In fact, I actually, I actually took it a step further. If I could get a little slide of a, of a picture. Can you pull that up? Not, not of the lawn. Do you have that picture of the pepper? So now look at this. You guys probably, but I actually can raise Packer peppers. Did you see that? <laughs> I, I actually sent a picture of this up to the Lord, too, to sort of pad my resume. Because <laughs> if, I, if I can't uh, maybe take care of the lawn, maybe I could work in the garden. And uh, so I'm trying to pad my resume. And uh, you might laugh, and I laugh. But I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. And if a privilege comes like that, that's what I'm working for. I, I want to be someplace. We're going to help administer this kingdom. I get excited about the kingdom. I can't wait for it to come. I don't, in fact, I do have, has a, have a reservation, and I'll bring that out the last day because we might be doing something else during the millennium that maybe some of you are not planning on doing, and I'll talk a little bit about that at the end as, as well. But let me just tell you this. The kingdom's real. The kingdom is so real. People listened to John the Baptist because they said, this guy really believed they're a kingdom. And it got introduced, and it was being introduced right then. It was so real. But repentance didn't take place in the majority of most of the people. And the kingdom got paused. But I'm going to tell you something, in a sense, in a sense, and I'll show you this tomorrow, in a sense, we are still living in the age of the kingdom. And you'll see that in the parables tomorrow. You'll see that, what Jesus was trying to teach. We're living in the kingdom age. Now, I'm not talking about doing miracles of the kingdom. That's all off. I'll mention that too. But wow, we have a lot to look forward to, folks. And if you get overwhelmed by this COVID thing, turn off the news. <laughs> And I'm, I'm not saying listen to all of the prophecy programs, but I still love listening to them teach on the kingdom. It gets me fired up.
and I want to talk to my neighbors about the kingdom. Two young guys live to the south of me, and I'm trying to build a friendship with them because I wonder, are they going to be a part of the kingdom? I hope they will be. That's why I like to talk to people. I want everybody to enjoy the kingdom that's promised in this book. But remember what Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there's going to be many that go that way. Narrow is the way to life, and few that are find it. When John preached, obviously most people did not repent. There were a handful, and maybe that's all we'll get now, but maybe we can be busy trying to bring people into the kingdom. Some things to think about, to study, to look at, and to be excited about. I'm going to close in prayer. I took some of your family time away, but I hope you can have an enjoyable conversation during these few minutes that you have together before you have to get your kids. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I love your word and all the things that it shares with us. And our future is so rich, we can't even understand how great it's going to be. I'm thankful it's coming. And it could be soon. Father, help us to live in light of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.